afternoon and welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We have got to focus on nothing and nothing in the sense that there's not a lot going on in this market, but there's a lot going on in this market. And we're going to explain what exactly we're talking about. Non-threatening weather. That's the nothing part. The surprise china's back in the market making waves and how is that going to affect our markets is it going to have an effect is it just a quick little blip and we go back to normal we're going to get all the details with the gentleman you see with me mike zuzalo is joining us with global commodity analytics and i think mike let's start with china and what has been happening with them with the proteins i mean just to bring our listeners and viewers up to speed is they're banned poultry coming from an Arkansas plant in regards to COVID-19. We knew it had happened in Germany. And now you said you're also seeing them do it to other countries as well. Yeah, and we're starting to see it not just in the protein sector, Susan. And thanks for having me on again. It's a real pleasure to be with you. Um, we're also seeing it now in the soybean complex. And uh, not, on, not only Brazil, but the latest word I have gotten uh, as of Tuesday afternoon is the idea that China is going to require or ask all uh, soybean importers, North American, South American, European, uh, to come in and verify and kind of almost uh, put a stamp of non-COVID in the uh, soybean uh, loads and cargoes. And so if they're doing with soybeans, you can essentially know that they're going to do it with almost anything because soybeans are so... uh, traded so heavily in China, uh, if they want to do it with soybeans, they pretty much have to do it with everything else because soybeans move so much throughout that country, it would seem to me. So I'm sitting here thinking to myself, okay, is this a trade barrier or is this a real issue with the COVID spike in Beijing? And I think we can put that to the side right now and say it really doesn't matter why they're doing it. The fact that they're doing it really upsets the apple cart in terms of their demand potential because one of the Brazilian soybean uh, uh, cargo uh, experts uh, essentially and loadout experts essentially said, look, it's almost all automated, what we do at this stage. So uh, it it would be very unlikely for any soybeans to have uh, COVID-19 in them. But how can we promise that at this stage? It's almost like, in his words, promising the impossible. And so it really begs the question whether China really needs soybeans or whether they've bought plenty ahead, um, or are they still having African swine fever issues, and therefore they don't need as much as the market is thinking. So I think the bottom line for me is is that between them continuing to buy 2021 soybeans and also uh, doing this now, uh, their their demand for soybeans is probably not going to be what the market expected. It seems in some ways almost like it's an economic ploy. Um, you know, things were finally getting back to somewhat of normal where they were making purchases and then this pops up. And like you said, maybe it does have ties with Beijing, but you know, the CDC, USDA, um, all those folks say that from a protein perspective, it's not transferable. So are we leaving the science behind? I think we could. And I think even if we're not, the fact that they're buying so much 2021 soybeans from us leaves the door open, wide open, I would say, for them to cancel uh, the shipments or sales and purchases uh, of those soybeans if things don't go well with the Trump administration heading into the election. You and I talked about this last time we were on together. And the idea and the research that I put forth to clients and subscribers was it's going to be very hard for the, the U.S. government uh, to, to probably see the Chinese play very nice going into the election because they probably don't want President Trump as the president and serving a second term because of his 
trade and economic and, and foreign policy hostility as they see it. Um, and we see this again with uh, Peter Navarro, his key trade representative, other than Robert Lighthizer, uh, coming on Fox News uh, on Monday night saying that he was he essentially uh, said yes, the U.S.-China phase one trade deal was over, in his words, over, and that it was essentially economic warfare at this stage that we're having to wage uh, on China to get them to bend to our needs and, and our uh, policies. But then President Trump came out right away and said, no, it's still on, it's still on. So I think it just really, really makes it very shaky ground for the soybeans to be able to go higher without the wheat and the corn joining it, especially if we get these much-needed rains in the areas that haven't already gotten some rains this week. Well, it's definitely going to make for some interesting marketing times from producers that were kind of banking on this whole phase one trade deal to be able to move forward and, and get back to some normalcy. Yes, and you notice also the funds haven't really taken that into consideration at this point, other than keeping the beans hemmed in at that 880 area uh, for the new crop futures. And I say that because we finished out the Tuesday's trade with the new crop, or the new crop beans against the new crop corn, hitting that 2.6 ratio, uh, dividing the beans into the corn. And so you're up with contract highs again. Uh, with the beans favored as the long side of the spread, the corn, the short side of the spread. When is that going to change? Is the acreage and stocks report uh, next a week from Tuesday, uh, is it finally going to make the market break? Uh, if bean acres go up and they realize that we have a comfortable supply and the demand is not going to show up as much in 2019, and USDA is going to therefore have to cut exports again. So you're right. That's where I'm leaning at this point. Is if you ask me, it's it's profitable to hedge beans, not a lot, but it's at least profitable to hedge beans here. And so I don't want to let these prices slip away. If, if wheat and corn would turn around and go higher, then I'd be more patient about locking in too many beans at this stage for new crop. But if it's raining and the corn and wheat want to take a a new leg down, I don't think the beans are going to fight that. And we shouldn't be surprised that all this is being factored in leading up to a November election. Yeah, exactly, and that's where it goes. It's, it's 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 the election in terms of you know where our country is headed in a multiple faceted area, whether it's trade, domestic, foreign policy, uh, economic situation, post COVID. It doesn't matter what you look at. I can't remember a time in history, except maybe after World War One with the pandemic back then, uh, where we were heading in such a in, in such a direction where so much mattered and so much was riding on it. But China is kind of the new Soviet Union now when it comes to the hegemon out there and the country that wants to kind of rule and take over the, uh, be the king of the hill again. And the only thing stop. Right, well, stick around, folks. We've got more coming up. It's a- Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield as we continue the conversation with Mike Zuzalo. And the start of this, I, I talked about really not a lot of nothing going on. I mean, we saw some lower numbers in the corn and the beans today. Not a lot of reaction, not a lot of real surprises, I don't think, from last night's crop progress report. No, I mean, the corn certainly was the weaker of the, the, the suit of cards out there because of the improvement, which I really question based upon the Nebraska producers and ranchers I work with, very few before Monday night's crop report were saying their crop was better. Some are actually saying it could be as bad as 2012. And even with, you know, irrigation uh, being able to be used and and being able to turn the pivots on, there are a lot of producers that are really needing some rains in Nebraska. So to see that go higher in conditions makes me really wonder. But Susan, you can see it's one of those years right now where Iowa and Minnesota are really in the focal point, and they're in the crosshairs when it comes to the trade. 
And as long as they see them get uh, plenty of rain and, and plenty of big acres, and that's a biggie right there is do, do Iowa and Minnesota acreage numbers match up in this June report compared to March? Or did we trim some of those acres uh, because of the wet, cold weather? And I think that's something I'll be looking at. But, yeah, the crop conditions, in my opinion, are essentially out uh, or are kind of off the table in terms of motivating the, the long position holder or more motivating the funds who are short to get out of their short corn positions. Uh, crush margins? What have you thought? Not a lot happening there either. No, you can kind of tell we still have an ample number of hogs, but it's not so burdensome that the meal uh, crushers are really bidding up right now. And you can see also that that old crop supply is pretty big. And so they're getting plenty of beans. And it makes sense because the beans are the ones to sell because they're the closest to being profitable right now. Crush margins could improve in the July-August time period if we had some issues with pod fill. Uh, that's where they probably bid up because they'd be running a little bit thin, and they know that South America is essentially out of beans anyway. So that's probably the area. If we don't uh, go higher in soybeans, with my mindset, again, led by wheat and corn, I'd probably sit back and wait for the July-August time period, maybe try and find a low there to buy back into. Looking at the numbers as we switch gears and head over to the livestock, uh, cold storage report. Do we see anything exciting going on? Yeah, it really, in my opinion, Susan, kind of put the low in the markets because we were coming off the negative cattle on feed report. We're getting our weekly kill back up. I put out a video on Twitter earlier this week about the, how the retail grocery store prices for beef and pork and chicken are really starting to hurt the summer demand. And I really think they are anecdotally. I don't know if we can see that yet in retail sales, but I'm really concerned about that heading into July 4th holiday and the grilling season. We're certainly feeling it here in our pocketbook in Atchison with what we're buying right now. Uh, thankfully, I've got a couple clients that were able to get some pork and beef to me uh, before all this hit, and I've got a good freezer full of, of red meat. Um, but and I think the key with this week's trade has been this cold storage report showing that record drop in pork stocks. That was very, very uh, much needed medicine for the uh, long position holder and for the cash market especially. And so we've got a bottom in the market. Can we hold that bottom as we head into the hogs and pigs report on Thursday? Two numbers to watch out for. I was shocked because these are the, these are the Reuters estimates. All hogs and pigs, June 1, very wide estimates from 102 to 105. Kept for breeding, 97 to almost 99. And then kept for markings, 102 and a half to about 106. I would be wondering if we could really see a 105 all hogs and pigs. That's the top end of the number range. If we saw 105, that'd be pretty negative uh, for the front end markets, and it probably would not give us a lot of upside potential. But if we came in on the right side of these estimates, I think you may be looking at that low that I've been waiting for in the hogs as we've tested that $45, $46 range again and so far held that. So looking at those numbers, how do you expect the hogs to trade tomorrow leading into this Thursday report? Yeah, I think if the cattle and the feeders, which look like they stimulated buy signals on their daily charts, if they did do that, I think the hogs will follow with a little bit additional short covering. This is one of those reports where the funds probably who are short will think to themselves, well, I'll buy it back here. And if the report's that negative, I can already I can always jump back in and get right back into that position I was already in a couple of days ago. Uh, they oftentimes will do that in the corn. And as I've seen here in the last six or seven months, there's quite a bit of similarities between the way the funds trade the corn and the way they trade the hogs. If, if relief rallies fail, 
uh, they jump back in on the short side very, very quickly, typically. A lot of things to look at, especially on this livestock. We've missed uh, two major holidays, Mother's Day and Father's Day. Fourth of July, well, hopefully, but mostly that's just hot dogs. We don't see a lot of, a lot of steak grilling going on. So things that we need to factor in as we, we market. What's the best way for folks to get a hold of you and, and find out more about the newsletter that you had talked about earlier? Yeah, the best way is to go to globalanalytics.biz and sign up for a free trial, and that'll set you up for all the analysis except for the text blasts that I send out to my clients and subscribers. If you need to talk on the phone, call me toll-free, 866-471-2588. All right, thanks so much. Mike Zuzolo has been joining us today. Just a reminder, commodity futures and options do involve substantial risk of loss are not suitable for all investors. That is the Fontenelle Final Bell being brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local Fontenelle dealers. You can check this out as a podcast at ruralradio.com, wherever you subscribe and on Spotify as well. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio